So Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 12. Near the word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb and taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, O God, that you have spoken to us in your word and you are speaking to us today. That your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It is God-breathed, given that we might grow and learn of you, believe and trust and have new life. So, Lord, I pray that, Father, whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us? Lord of all, speak. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. We can do nothing apart from you. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Just this weekend, we are reminded again that our world is in short supply of hope. Hope being some expectation of good ahead. You look around, if you were to take a survey of the world around us, you could just in our own local community. I, I saw yesterday where the Columbiana Mall, there was a shooting where uh, over a dozen people were injured. I don't think as of my last viewing, no one had died from their injuries. But uh, I grew up driving as they were building that. I wasn't driving going to elementary school, but riding. And this is why I was able to observe uh, driving down Harvison Boulevard as they were building that. I used to ride my bike there, uh, me and my friends, with un- unsupervised I think my parents knew that. They're here and the confession has been made. Uh, And there used to be a Toys R Us right next door. And now it's a men's warehouse, which is, as a man, it's great. But as a child, that would be lame. And so, but I would go and go get our G.I. Joes and we'd go play. And anyways, uh, and now there are people being shot and wounded in a place that used to be such a joy to me. And in fact, my sister who's here was a manager there for a long time at, at the old Walden Books, which perished with with Amazon and everything else. That's where, that's where you guys met. I'm not going to tell the stories. 
Um, anyways, it's a, it, was a, it was a meaningful place for me and my family. And yet, yesterday, it was, it was a shock to the system to see these things coming in. You, but you don't have to just stop here. You could go to the, the global scale and see what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Or if you probed a little bit deeper, you could see the, the wickedness in North Korea or the persecution of Christians all over the world or the, the sufferings of people uh, all over the world from, from sickness and from, um, from famine and from drought. There's a, our, our world's in desperate need. And if, if, we're, and if we're looking for it, we can either sort of swing one or two ways. We can either see the world as gripped by something dark because there is a shadow that hangs over all of us. There's a shadow of of suffering and affliction that that sometimes it it seems like it's just the ocean lapping up upon the beach of our lives. It's, It's there, but we're not immersed in it. And then there are other seasons of our lives where it seems like we're plucked up off the beach and we are plunged into the sea of suffering and affliction. And if, if that's not you, then I'm thankful that that's not you. But I have short confidence that one day that will be you. You'll lose something. You'll lose someone. You'll suffer something. And in those moments, it's so easy to say this world is dark. It's meaningless. There is no hope. But the testimony of Scripture, and in fact, the what we celebrate this day it doesn't tell us that no it doesn't say that those things are not real. It doesn't say that the, the darkness, death, affliction, pain, suffering, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't say that those things are not real. The resurrection of Jesus says that all those things are not all there is. That with the resurrection of Jesus, you have the dawn of light over a sin and darkened world. And you might have experienced that dawn in your own life where all of a sudden the the dungeon was filled with light as Charles Wesley so beautifully wrote in his hymn. The dungeon was filled with light and you began to see the great love of God that He has for you. Or you might still be in that dungeon today. And in fact, you've made yourself quite comfortable there. So much so that when I say that Jesus has risen, you either want to say, well, that's just religious silly talk. Surely, I had someone ask me, a family member who's not here, don't worry, guys. Uh, My family's taking up a chunk of a pew over here. Uh, None of them, but they, they asked me, do you really believe? Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? With a with a tone of like, are you incredulous? Are you serious? And I said, absolutely, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Not spiritually, not mentally. It wasn't some sort of nirvana arrival, but that he bodily got up after being truly, really, fully dead. And he became truly, really, fully alive. Mind, body, soul. Because one, that's what the Bible says. But dear ones, that's the only thing that can account for any shred of hope we might have. Any hope that the, that the dark grip of death that hangs over all of us and over all things that struck me yesterday as I was driving along and I was, things are a little crazy in my life right now. 
Uh, we have the, the babies coming tomorrow. Easter is always a kind of a busy season. Uh, it's the end of a semester. I'm in school, so I've, I had a paper due, a paper due tonight. <laughs> Who does that on Easter? I, it was, I turned it in Friday. I was like, I can't deal with it. Whatever you get on Friday is what you get. Uh, and then I've got finals that start next week when we're going to have this little baby around. Uh, and it's just a little, but I was trying to, I was meditating and praying. And uh, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite seasons is what the season that we're coming into, we're out of. Uh, we're in the spring season, but when the dogwoods begin to bloom, and the dogwoods begin to bloom before all of the other, the, before the canopy really greens up. You know what I'm saying? The dogwoods, are, if you're driving along, you don't know what a dogwood is. We have one over here for observation, okay? Uh, if you want to walk over there. Anyways, uh, but the, they, there's those, the, the trees with the white blooms that naturally occur. They're wild dogwoods, and you could see them driving down White Pond back in between here and my house. It takes two minutes to get home. And, uh, but I love seeing the dogwoods bloom, but they always bloom before the rest of the trees really green up. Sort of alerting us to the fact that, hey, the, not, that, not that we really get a lot of winter doldrums in South Carolina, um, but, but whatever winter doldrums that you've had, they're breaking. Spring is coming. The blossoms are coming. The leaves are coming. And dear ones, much more profoundly, the resurrection of Jesus tells you that life is ahead That though this world right now is bound up with sin and suffering and death and all of the brokenness and the difficulties that plague us either seasonally or just seem to be always with us for some of us, that that is not all there is. And that there's a dawn ahead. When Jesus finally, it's finally, 23 chapters into the Gospel of Luke, Jesus dies. And he's buried, he's put into the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. This is all happening in the last chapter. And now the women come at the beginning of chapter 24. Which, by the way, if you're one of the people who are saying this is religious silly talk, there's no way, somebody made this up. Somebody made this story up. I'm just going to tell you uh, that that's not really, it doesn't really make sense. Like if you're making up a story like this in the first century, you would not have, don't take this offense, don't be offended. Uh, because we're going to flip the script in a second, but you would not have a bunch of women as the first witnesses. Their testimony didn't carry a lot of weight in court. They were, not, they were sort of overlooked participants in society. They didn't have weight. They weren't sitting in the gates providing judgment. If you were making up this story, this is not your first witness. You would have picked somebody else to fabricate around because this would be too easily cast aside. So they come at first day of the week, so this would be Sunday. This is why we worship on Sunday. This is why I'm one of those pastors saying it matters what day of the week you worship on because Jesus rose on Sunday and we're resurrection people. So the first day of the week at early dawn, literally at deep dawn, like super early, still dark outside. They went to the tomb taking spices. They had things they were going to do in terms of traditions and things they were going to do to the body of Jesus. And they found the stone rolled away. And this is what you must account for. Either the death of all of us is sealed or life is open to everyone with an open tomb. Either it is sealed, closed, and death just awaits you 
And if death is all that is ahead of you, then live your life however you please, which is how many people live. And what you will begin to see, you live your life however you please, is actually destructive to the world around us, which is what we're tasting right now. If everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes, like the book of Judges, we will end up like the book of Judges, which is a very gnarly and awful part of the Bible. It's awful in the sense of what it records. Or the tomb is open. And perhaps you're one of those people saying this is religious silly talk and you're saying the dead people don't rise. Well, dear one, that's the point. The point is people don't regularly get up from the dead. No one else in the history of the world has gotten up from the dead and stayed alive. You could point to Lazarus and all those guys in the Gospels. They died again. Jesus alone rose. And now you have access. You have access to life and to light in a world that is crippled by darkness. You have access to hope. To an expectation that what is in front of you is not all there is. A hope that can bedrock you when suffering comes. A hope that will not make sense to the world around you. As you are worn and beaten by the waves of this life. And it seems like one thing after another, another domino falls and you are in peril and difficulty. And and yet you're hopeful. If all we have ahead is death, then you have no reason to be hopeful. But if Christ has risen, life is ahead. And now, with His people. And so they're looking for Jesus, and they can't find His body, and these two angels show up, and they ask this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a sermon in and of itself. How often we look for satisfaction and fullness in things that never give life. How we long to hang our hats on the idols of this world rather than having what Christ offers us. New life. Forgiveness of sins. Relieving of guilt and shame. We would rather be entertained and rather be distracted. But that's not this sermon. That was a mini-sermon in this sermon. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered. That word must there is another way you could translate it is it is necessary. And this is what I've been hung up on all week. Why on earth? Why on earth was the death and the resurrection of Jesus necessary? On what terms would Jesus have to die? According to what arrangement would he die and rise again? Why is it necessary that the Son of Man, this is Jesus, be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day arise? How could the King of glory, the God of all, be under any obligation to us sinful people? Why would it be necessary? And I was reading, and I'm going to sound like a nerd. For some of you, that's unsurprising. My sister would be the first testimony of my nerddom or dorkdom. Stop. Stop it. There there are people here. Uh, But I was was reading a a guy who wrote in the 
like the 11th century named Anselm. If you want to know good Christian theologians, a lot of them back in the day started with A. Right? You, have, you have Augustine, you have Athanasius, you have Anselm. Okay. So Anselm, he was writing about why God would have any necessity placed upon him. You, th- you think about it. You have no right to tell God what to do. You have no right to say, God, you owe me this. If God, and this is the point, if God owes you anything, it's that God is because God has chosen to owe you something. If God owes you anything, if there's any necessity placed upon God, now just hang with me. I know it's hot. I know you guys got food in the oven somewhere. Something's going on today. But get this. Because this, for me, it just blew my mind at the beauty of the gospel again. If there's any necessity upon God, if there's any necessity that Jesus must die, it is not a necessity that we have placed upon God where I'm saying, God, you have to do this. Could you imagine rebels telling the king, you have to give up your son so that we'll live? That's silly talk. Talk about silly talk. Talk about an idle tale. Us telling the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you must give up the treasure of heaven. You must give up the rose of Sharon. You must give up your beloved son. Who on earth do we think we are? But yet it is necessary that the Son of Man be crucified. It's it's necessary because God has promised. And God's promise is all of grace. It's necessary because God has bound Himself by His Word. Saying, I am going to save those who believe in Me. And I'm so committed, not only in love to them, but I'm so committed to keeping my word that I'm going to send my only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see, eons before Jesus was even incarnate, the God of glory took on the yoke of his promise. When he said to Abraham, In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Or even before that, with our first parents. In Genesis chapter 3, after sin came in and wrecked this world, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and God is rolling out curses upon humanity and upon the earth and upon Satan, there's this glimmer of hope there. He says that the seed or the descendant of the woman would crush the head of the seed or the descendant, the offspring of the serpent. And that while the seed of the woman's heel would be bitten, the head of the serpent would be crushed. That might sound like metaphorical craziness, but it was a promise that God gave Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, even thousands and thousands of years before Jesus came on the scene. And he, he buckled himself in. Do you understand? He said, I'm committed to this people and I'm committed to this place because I've chosen to be committed to this people and to this place. That's free love, dear ones. 
God could have pulled the plug in Genesis chapter 3 and our Bible would be much shorter, but we wouldn't care because we wouldn't be here. He could have allowed the world to spin off its axis, all of this to disintegrate, but instead he upholds the universe by the word of his power and he has committed himself to saving us. And so now he sends his son so that we might have new life. It's necessary because God has chosen for it to be necessary. What more testimony do you need of God's love for you? Of God's commitment that if you would come to Christ, you could be new today. And yet you continue to seek the living among the dead. So the women become the first witnesses. They become the first testifiers. We have no inkling of unbelief in Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary. This is Mary, Jesus' mom, his mother, his earthly mother, his mother. Um, the mother of James and the other women. And they went and told these things to the apostles. They are, they are the first testifiers. They are entrusted with the gospel to go take it to those who are going to take it to the ends of the earth. And so they go to the apostles. These were the the 12 disciples plus a few more. In verse 11, we have their devastating assessment. When the apostles hear it, they say, but these words seem to them an idle tale. Seemed like a fairy tale. And they did not believe them. You have two choices today. Two choices. There's, there's, only, there's always only two. Either you'll be like these apostles who right now unbelieve. One day they will believe. And they'll take off running. But right now at the testimony of these women, they refuse to believe. They said they, it says they did not believe them. And for some reason right now, there's something working on you. That's saying, no, there's no way he's telling the truth. Because you know, if Jesus got up out of the grave, then he has every right. He has every right to take up lordship over your life. Practical, applied lordship to tell you how to live. To tell you what to think. To tell you what to believe. And you're working up some defense against that lordship claim in your life. And so you're, you're choosing unbelief. Or the other option, verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. At the announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the good news that God has accomplished in His Son, that Jesus, the Son of God, died a substitutionary death and He rose from the dead. You can either unbelieve Or you can get up and run and run to him and find out for yourself. The choice today and every Sunday and every day of your life is either unbelief or belief. Everything in this world and everything in you wants to pull towards unbelief. And we need the powerful grace of God to turn us toward belief. But where will you be today? Will you be like the heart at this point, hard-hearted apostles who continue in your unbelief? You're here on Easter, and I'm thankful you're here. 
I'm really thankful you're here. But I pray that you, the next time you, don't, you show up in a church, it's not Christmas or Easter. Ne- next year. Now, if it is, they'll come. I'm not judging that. But I'm saying the Christian life has much more to offer. Much more to offer. The new life that we can find that can be found in Jesus is so much sweeter, dear ones. More fulfilling. When you find the living, when you find the hope in the midst of this dark world. So will you look upon the cross of Christ and see the beautiful love of God where He has yoked Himself He has committed himself to new life so much so that he has sent his only son that everyone who trusts in him will have new life. Or will you continue in unbelief? But just like the apostles, your unbelief will be temporary. One day death will call. And one day your eyes will open. And you'll be before the judge of the living and the dead. And on that day it will be too late, but your unbelief will be gone. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we do that today rather than waiting till then. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mercy. And we pray, O Lord, that you would send your spirit now to... Cause the word of the gospel to find good soil in hearts and minds. That it might spring up for fruit toward you. We ask, O Lord, that you would stymie and stop the intentions of the adversary to come and pluck these seeds, this, this word that it would be plucked away as seed upon the path. I pray for those who are here who might be wrestling with unbelief and belief. I pray, O Lord, that they would be overcome right now by the beautiful grace of God and the love of Jesus for them. That you have chosen, you've chosen to send your Son, that they would come. Would you conquer their unbelief? Would you melt their hard heart? Would every voice of unbelief and disagreement that arises in the back of their head would it be met by your spirit O God that they might come to you I pray for your saints your children who are here who have trusted you that O Lord that they would run afresh and find renewed joy and amazement at our beautiful Savior Jesus Christ so Lord accomplish your will today by your word and spirit And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.